Hello, my name is Annalise. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 2, 5 through 7. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown in us, Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 1, 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Remain standing as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you call to us and rescue us. We pray this morning as we hear your scriptures being read and taught that you would open up our hearts and our minds to know you, to hear you, to encounter your grace and your mercy this morning. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. We're so glad that you're here. Yes, a little cheers in the room. Merry Christmas. And you're like, ah, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if we have anyone that's overflowing from uh, the North Congregation across the lobby here, but if you are here, welcome. Uh, This is New Life Downtown Exile Edition. Um, We have not been able to be in Palmer High School for several months uh, now, but we're so grateful that we can move into mom and dad's basement, as it were, Uh, although this is much nicer uh, than any any basement, so we're so grateful for that. Also want to welcome you because today is the last last in-person service of 2020. So as we mentioned last week, Christmas Eve uh, is a special service that we recorded earlier this week. Um, It will be available as a streaming service on demand, as it were. I hate saying that about church, on demand. I mean, that's kind of weird. But it's online all day long on Christmas Eve, whenever you want to stream it uh, from our website. And then the 27th, Sunday the 27th, has also been recorded. So that will be a Sunday uh, morning service that you can tune in and watch online at 9 and 11. However, one change from what I said last week, last week... I said that we would also be online only for January 3rd. We decided that we are going to meet in person on January 3rd. So we will, we will start off the year uh, in person together 
It's going to be a wonderful time. So uh, those of you that are watching online, we're so grateful that you're able to join us in this way. I know probably some of you are getting weary of doing that. And so we just want you to know that all of us in the room are missing you and thinking about you. Let's send them some love this morning, everybody. And if you are watching online, you can send up your thumbs and hearts and likes and comments and all of that. We're, we're glad that you're able to stay engaged in this way and stay safe as well. Well, this morning we are... I am joined by the Honorable Reverend Jason Jackson this morning, everybody. Pastor Jason. Good morning, everyone. It's been a long time since we've tried to do this, so bear with us. I don't know that we've ever tried to do this. I think to... my, my, my first month, you, Evan, and I did like a, like a panel discussion, and that was the last time we've done any like co-preaching together. It was bad, maybe. I, mean, I, was I think it, it was okay. I mean, there's a reason we I, never... Evan and you were great. I wasn't so great. <laughs> no, I'm sure that's not it. <laughs> Well, we're wrapping up our series today on Mary's song, and we've called this series A Revolutionary Advent. And each week we've talked about an aspect of this revolution of Jesus' arrival. And if you're catching up, or maybe this is your first time jumping in the series, uh, let, me just, let me just fill you in on how, why we frame the series this way. Uh, the arrival of Jesus was not... Um, was not a cute little thing that would be significant to a band of followers that then kind of thought this was about internal transformation and how to be more pious and how to live a nice life that was pleasing to God. And he was some sort of spiritual teacher that taught us about inward piety. The way the gospel writers describe the birth of Jesus, they want us to recognize that even though from the outside it seems to be happening in the corner of the empire, ignored by, uh, by the, the powers that be in Rome anyway, the gospel writers want us to know that actually this is God himself becoming king in the world. This, in, this is God himself fulfilling the prophecies that the prophets had spoken of, that one day the Lord would come and be king in Israel himself. And so the gospel writers are trying to use all of the language and imagery that they could find to say, oh, it's on. <laughs> the Lord has come himself to be king. And so when someone comes as king to disrupt the current kings, we have a word for that. We call that a revolution. A revolution is not a rebellion from an existing throne. It's not a, about a, a little resistance army. It's about an overthrow of the powers that be. And so what we've been trying to say each week is that the arrival of Jesus is the end of the rule of sin and death yeah. and the devil himself. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Yeah. It's the end of the rule of sin and death and the devil himself. And so each week we've kind of talked about an aspect of this song. Mary kind of has this sense about this, this hint of it because of the visit from the angel and what she's being told. And so in week one of this series we said the revolution is personal. Mary talks about how God has seen her lowly state. And we talked about how that, what that might mean for if each of us could believe that. Wherever we are, whatever we're going through, to believe that God really sees you. That the revolution is not just some sort of cosmic good news, but it is for you and me individually, personally. And then in week two, we talked about the revolution being universal. That it's not just, per it's personal, yeah. but it's not private. 
It's meant to be for everyone. And so all of the little circles of mercy that we subconsciously draw, all the hierarchies of mercy that we subconsciously make, and we say, well, these people deserve it, but these people don't. Jesus comes and shatters that and says, no, 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 no. It's it's for everyone. And then last week we talked about the revolution being a reversal. Jesus is reordering the power structures in the world, and yet we don't quite see it right now. And so we have to wait and worship and weep even as we wait for this reordering. But we do so with hope. Amen? Amen. And this morning we're talking about the final piece of it. The revolution is generational. There's something about the arrival of this child that makes Israel's family story all of a sudden make sense. Now I know, I don't, well, I don't know how many of you watched The Mandalorian this weekend. <laughs> there, will be, there will be no spoilers in this sermon in case Thank you, you are I appreciate behind that. I'm the behind, time. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, you are quite behind. Um, um, but if there's one thing the Star Wars... Um, uh, anthology teaches us it's that sometimes the arrival of a child can bring order and balance in the force and that's not a, really what the gospels are saying but the arrival the, I just want to be careful here so you're not like I think Glenn says that Star Wars is biblical well there's overtures in the story but what we are meant to see with the arrival of Jesus is he somehow snaps the generational story of Israel into place. He is this capstone, this cornerstone, this missing piece that all of a sudden makes previous generations make sense and come to fulfillment and future generations have hope. And that's what we're going to talk about yeah. today. So we see this really kind of come to its full kind of climax in Mary's final verse in her song, which Glenn has mentioned numerous times through the series is less like a choral anthem and more like a punk rock song. <laughs> it's this sense of almost like a rage against the machine, the machine being the Roman empire and saying, hey, listen, something is happening here in Bethlehem. Something's happening for Mary here in her womb. And she's thinking and reflecting and pondering on all that she knows to be true about Israel's story and all that the angel has told her. And what she's singing in this last song, kind of as Glenn said, ties all of this together. And she says this, she says, he has come, referring to Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he has come to the aid of his servant Israel. She's talking about her family story here. Remembering his mercy just Mm. as he promised to his ancestors, to Abraham, and to Abraham's descendants forever. See here, Mary, as she's thinking, she's actually recalling God's promise to Abraham and proclaiming that its ultimate fulfillment has come in her own son. Mm. That God has made this promise all the way back to the beginning of the story, and that this is now coming to its fullest expression, its its fulfillment really in this child. And as we read in the Old Testament story, it's going back to that Genesis chapter 12 verse, Mm. where here the Lord comes to Abram at the time and he says to him, leave your land and your family and your father's household for the land that I will show you. He doesn't even give him the name of the land yet. Mm. He said, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. And all 
of the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. All yeah. the families yeah. of the earth yeah. will be blessed because of you. So what we see happening here with Abram is that God makes a promise to one family, to one couple. And he says, I'm going to promise that you're going to become a large family. And not only are you going to become a large family, but you're going to become a great nation of families. And not only that, but you, through you, through this great nation of families, I'm going to bless all families. This is like the one family to bless them all. You know, for you Lord of the Rings fans, this is a little bit different of a kind of edge on that. But in this way, the Bible is in every sense a family story. It's a story that impacts every family and encompasses all generations, all wrapped up here in this final verse of Mary's song. But the problem is, as we know, sitting here in this room, families are messy. <laughs> families are difficult. Why couldn't God have chosen heroic individuals to bless freestanding individuals? Why families? Here we are. I'm looking out at some of you. You're sitting. We've got a couple of generations sitting together in the room, and there's kids in the room, which I'm so glad about. We are going to do candles at the end of the service, uh, and so it's going to be... Is that good a, news that, with kids in the room? Well, is that I mean, okay, it's, it's yeah, it's both and. Yeah, da- a danger and a warning and yeah. uh, something to look forward to. <laughs> But you'll see in Mary's song, she says, you have said this to our ancestors and to his descendants forever. And I want you to hold these two words. Maybe if you're taking notes, you can write down ancestors and descendants, ancestors and descendants. And those are going to be the two places that we, the two ways that we frame this sermon this morning and to look at ancestors and to look at descendants. Ancestors has to do with where we've come from. And descendants has to do with where our story is going. Whether you're single or married, whether you have children or you don't have children, this is meant to be metaphorical language for you. So if you're single in the room or you don't have uh, children, this is not the moment to say, oh no, this is a sermon on parenting or whatever. It it is not that at all. In, In fact, the fact that Jason said the Bible is a family story, it's meant to say it's God's big family. It's yep. God's big family in which everyone has a place, but it comes with a warning label. <laughs> you, you belong to this family, but be, you know, be advised. When you enter, upon entering this family, there are some ancestors you might not want to be associated with. And there's some descendants who may not want to be associated with you. <laughs> and this is how it goes. This is how the story goes. Uh, ancestors and descendants, where have we come from And where are we going? So let's talk about ancestors for a moment, about family stories. Yeah, some of you have heard me talk. You know, for many of us, uh, our family story can be a rather painful one. Uh, I come from a family that my entire childhood had just had fractures in it. Uh, And eventually, when I was in high school, that broke. Uh, And my parents ended up divorced. And uh, my brothers and I, we carry quite a bit of baggage uh, in our lives. And a lot of that because of a very difficult and very painful relationship with my dad uh, that has 
sort of uh, impacted all of us in really significant ways, my mom and my brothers and me. And it was also a family where faith was really subterranean, uh, where, or maybe it had faded just way into the background. You know, it was like three coats of paint and two rows of wallpaper kind of away from any sort of like dominant sort of expression in our family. It's sort of, you know, like peaked out at the holidays or occasional Sundays, but the life of the family was not something in which Jesus took any sort of center stage. And yet that wasn't always true of my family. Mm. I learned later on that actually there is a significant amount of faithfulness several generations back. Mm. Mm. Uh, That on my dad's side of the family, there were people who were active participants Mm. in the Christian Missionary Alliance kind of church in Northern Iowa and that they had been deeply rooted there and served faithfully in their community. And my mom's own family uh, our ancestry is Norwegian, uh, which meant I had to smell Ludafix one oh, too many Ludafisk. times uh, yeah, as, a, no. as a child. One yeah. time is too many times. <laughs> uh, but they had left Norway to come to southern Minnesota and plant Lutheran churches mm. there. And yet, over the course of time, faith had gone underground. Faith had faded into the background. And as I got to know my family's story a little bit, the, the really the kind of last person who had any sort of like significant devotional life was my great-grandma Cora, uh, who was born in 1889 mm. and died in 1996. Wow. Uh, just about two months before she turned 107 years old. And yeah, amazing. And uh, about one year before my great-grandmother passed away, is when faith reemerged in my family as I was led to the Lord by a neighbor. Mm. And here, generations of kind of faith dwindling, mm. faith going underground, and yet the Lord's faithfulness comes back up mm-hmm. and finds a way to kind of work its way back through. And so some of us have those kind of stories where maybe you look back and there may be something way back there, there was some rootedness mm-hmm. Or you may be even looking ahead saying there's rootedness here, but you're looking ahead and you're wondering where it's gone. And I want you to know this morning, there's hope. Yeah. yeah. That there's hope on, in both directions yes. because God's not done working. Yes. Even though we can't see it. My great-grandmother didn't get a chance to see very much of it. Uh, but there will come a day when... Sorry. <laughs> there will come a day... And your daughter. I'm going to make it. There you go. And, uh, and, and your daughter. When she'll get to meet my daughter, Cora. Her name's sick. Name's named for her. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for helping Amen. me with that. <laughs> and so the first thing we want to see from this song about ancestors and descendants is that God can redeem your family history. Yeah. God can redeem your family history. Now, I know that sounds like a trite thing to say. Amen, amen. Uh, It it can sound like a trite thing to say, to say, well, you don't exactly know what my father was like. You don't know what the... It's true. I I don't know. But I do know when you read the scriptures that the scriptures don't actually hide messy ancestors from the story. (laughs) (laughs) They they really don't. I mean, I remember years ago, Holly and I were talking to our daughters about uh, the Bible, and, and I don't know exactly what the subject was, but one of them goes, so dad... 
What's an example of a good family in the Bible? <laughs> I mean, isn't it interesting? Like, I, I, I love, we're in Colorado Springs, focus on the family. Like, we, if, if you're new to evangelicalism or Christianity, you might think that the Bible is full of, like, model citizens, like, perfectly put together families. Like, that's the impression that you get from church world, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you come to new life, and you're like, everybody looks so nice. I suppose everybody comes from three generations of practicing, tongue-talking, Bible-quoting Christians, right? You know? Like, and I suppose nobody ever yells, and everybody just knows how to be emotionally healthy and all of this stuff. Listen, man, just read the Bible. <laughs> like, there, there is no perfect family. Like, God calls Abraham. The very next thing he does is lie about his wife. <laughs> Like, literally, the very next thing he does is say, no, that's not my wife, that's my sister. If you want her, you can have her. Like, excuse me! This is G-rated stories? Like, what are these stories? And, I, and, and yet, the scripture doesn't erase the genealogies. Yeah. You don't open up the Bible and say, and Jesus <clears throat> came from nowhere. <laughs> it tells us, it names names. And if you look at the names, you're like, ooh, I can't believe that guy got in. Yeah. Like, how is that guy in the list? So my, what I want to say to you is the, the, two of the gospel writers open their birth of Jesus stories with genealogies. And genealogies with messy people, the point we're meant to see is that God can redeem your family story. Yeah. When Jesus enters the story, everything changes. Everything changes in it. But it, but it requires work. Yeah, I was going to say, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's all better now. Yeah. <laughs> but there's actually an invitation for us to enter into work with Jesus, to work with him as he is working in us. We're not sort of miraculously and instantaneously delivered from all the unhealthy and destructive patterns that we saw in our families of origin that oftentimes go on for generations where we see this generation taught this generation taught this yeah. generation and you see these sort of habitual things and brokenness happen. And so this doesn't happen overnight, but instead actually takes quite a bit of time and quite a bit of work. That's why we do all of the emotionally healthy discipleship classes at New Life Downtown. They have this saying in EH that Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. There are still things that we are unlearning from past well, generations. Well, think about that with the Abraham story. Yeah. That generational sin, so to speak, of him deceiving and lying shows up shows up and the parental favoritism shows up from generation to generation as well the whole I mean, you picking, see one, over picking one over the other yeah. just keeps coming sometimes you hear these passages in the old testament about generational curses and you think it's some sort of christian voodoo like it's not like that <laughs> it, it's 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 the same stuff that counselors and psychologists talk about when they say you know what you receive wounds as a child and you tend to inflict those same wounds on others so jesus is the it will bring about the healing but it's not the the, the sort of waving of a wand no not instantaneously there are times in my own relationship with my kids where i hear my dad's voice coming out of me <laughs> And then pull back and have to go and repent and apologize to my kids and say, I'm so sorry. I should have never said that. Mm. I should not have spoken to you with that tone. That was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Because that's what I saw. That's what I saw modeling. And I am unlearning that mm. to this day, mm. Je you know, years and years later. So it's why we do the EH courses. It's why Pastor Evan and Pastor Holly offer pastoral counseling. It's why Jim and Martha do premaritals and first year. Mm -hmm. It's why we support mental health counselors here in our city. For those of you who are in the room, thank you for the work that you mm -hmm. do. Thank you for the work that you do Amen. for us and with Amen. us and for all 
of the sitting and talking and helping people. I actually just finished another year of mental health counseling as it relates to things with my dad. Um, so it was November to November, just another year of saying, okay, I need to talk about this again and get help. So if my counselor is watching, thank you. Um, <laughs> That's good. Uh, That's... We, we believe in those things, you guys, because we, we know that Jesus wants to redeem histories, but yes. we know that that takes time and yes. it takes us partnering with him yes. in that process. Amen, amen, amen. One of the things that happens when you start to enter a dating relationship or even a close sort of friendship, uh, and then certainly when you get married, and then in, again when you have kids, is you're introduced to relationships that are very intimate. And what happens is the, the last most intimate relationship you had, for better or for worse, the last most intimate relationship you had was the household you grew up in. It's the last most intimate relationship you have. And, and if you never named or worked through or dealt with the wounds from that last most intimate relationship that you had, you enter a new intimate relationship and guess what happens? They start touching on those same wounds and those same things. But what we end up doing is saying, they're the problem. I've got the wrong roommate. I'm, I'm dating the wrong person. I married the wrong person. My child is a mess and on and on it goes, not recognizing that actually these are the same wounds and triggers that you've brought in from the last most intimate relationship you had. And so the failure to deal with ancestors actually short circuits God's plan to redeem our family stories. Mm -hmm. But if we will cooperate with God and bring it, that's how God redeems family histories. Okay, let's talk about descendants. What about our futures? Where are we headed to? Uh, For those of you that are parents in the room, it is sobering to remember that God willing, if things generally follow the the, the trends that they normally do, uh, typically children outlive their parents. And oftentimes when I've stood at funerals where they don't, it is named as an especially great sort of tragedy because we don't expect that. But for parents in the room, for better or for worse, children outlive us. And so that, that is a sobering thing for many of you in the room that are wired to be achievers and you think your legacy is something external and something out there. It's sobering to remember that actually your concrete physical legacy are the creatures that will go on living beyond you. And that someday they may or may not remember what you did nine to five, but they will be these people that bear your last name. And that is a scary thought sometimes. You think, wow, how does that actually work? But there's a flip side of this. And those of you that are older in the room and have adult children, you recognize that you spend a lot of your years investing in children only to find that the necessary course of life is children are meant to displace their parents a little bit. I know. You're like, what? How could you say that? But it's kind of true. When parents, when your children are young, you are the looming voice in their life. Your, your perspective is central and their perspective is peripheral. Yeah. This is why parents can get away with saying, because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't need to give you reasons, son. I'm your dad. And my voice is the voice of God. Yeah, I, we don't parent that way, of course. But... But even if, even if you parent with as gentle of a touch as you can, it's, it's impossible. Children will always grow up knowing that because of this power differential, the parent's perspective is central in their life. But part of maturation, part of growing up is that their own voice or their own sort of discernment of the Lord's voice becomes central in their life. And, and oftentimes parents' perspectives get de-centered. It gets pushed off-center. So 
many of you here who have adult children, you're like, oh, it's kind of interesting. They're, they're not really following our traditions. Or they're not doing this thing. And then Christmas brings all this stuff up. Yeah. Why are we not doing the same baking? And why are we not doing the same dishes? And why are we not singing the same stuff? And how come we're not doing Christmas PJs anymore? Or whatever it might be. Because your voice in their life has been decentered. And this is the tricky thing that you see happening in a line of descendants. Because there's a name, but then there's names after you. And then names after them. And then names after them. And you're like, oh, I am not on center stage. No. The drama of life as it stands on this planet is that you have some moments on the stage. But then it's time to sort of go to the wings. And there's others that that come on. And that is a great source of pain sometimes. It's a source of pain because there's a leveling of the power differential. It's a source of pain because there's a de-centering of your voice and perspective. But sometimes it's a source of pain when it, when it really goes wrong. Earlier this week, I asked on Facebook if people would be willing to name one grief and one gift in their life. And many people, uh, many of you named that a, a grief in your life is a strained or estranged relationship with adult children. Yeah. That's a difficult thing. What happens when you thought you were doing everything right to secure a good heritage only to discover that your descendants don't seem to be on the trajectory you hoped they would be? Maybe this is a moment to say that God can redirect our family trajectory. Yeah, we see throughout the scriptures that descendants are an integral part of the covenant promise that there's this constant sort of connection with covenant and children or offspring. For Abraham, it was Isaac. For Isaac, it was Jacob. Even going down to the covenant that God made with David, that there was a promise that his heir would sit on his throne forever. This is the great promise that we see being fulfilled in Christ, that the offspring of David rules forever on the throne. But as we look through that whole story, there are painful gaps in the generations. There are, as Glenn said, there are wayward children and wayward grandchildren. There are times that we look at those stories and we're like, oh my goodness. And yet we see as we read the whole story, God's faithfulness, even in those times, Mm -hmm. there are long periods and struggles with infertility Mm -hmm. uh, and painfully so. And so many of you know that story as well of that long sort of heartache of wanting and hoping and praying and, uh, and exploring all kinds of avenues for offspring and seeing that sort of heartache uh, within there. Many of you have seen faith dwindle through generations as we've talked about. And yet there is hope on the horizon as we look at that big story that we continue to see God being faithful, even as we're not faithful, yeah. even as generations yeah. are faithless, God is He's faithful. Still He's yeah. still working, yeah. and yeah. his covenant promises hold true, just sometimes we don't get to see them while we're living. Yes. Sometimes it takes three, four, five, six, seven generations, mm. and then you're like, oh, there it is. Mm. There's the faithfulness of God pushing through Mm. in ways that are absolutely spectacular and breathtaking. But there's an error that we can make in kind of seeing this connection between descendants and covenant. The error that we can make is that we can think that this is only about biological descendants. And what happens when we make that error is it actually marginalizes people who are single, who actually throughout church history have a very, very significant and prominent place within the church. 
and within the family story. And there's also a tendency to marginalize those who do not have biological children for one, way, for one reason or another. But actually we see something just really fascinating that happens in the scriptures is that in the Old Testament, the people of God, the family of God, primarily grows through procreation. Mm. This is the primary way the family of God grows, mm. is by having children. But in the New Testament, the primary way that the family of God grows is through proclamation. It's good. We move from be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth to go into all of the world yes. and make disciples. And so we're Man, brought into this story, not simply to get married and to have kids, but more largely, we're brought into the family of God to proclaim the great wonder of God, mm. the gospel of God, the good news that all families, all people, all individuals married and single with kids, without kids, whatever the story is, we're all brought together into the family of God because of Jesus. And in right. that space, we're all made ambassadors of the gospel. Yes. We're all sent out not to go be fruitful and multiply but to go and to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples those are the kind of descendants that end up taking the forefront in the new testament as christians this is our family yes these are our generations these are our descendants the children that are around us and those who have come to faith because of our witness in the world. So if you are single, mm. if you are divorced, if you are widowed, if you do not have kids, there is a place yes. for you in the story and it's not a marginal place. It is a center place yes. because yes. we're all yes. brought to the center in Jesus to proclaim what it is that he has done in the world. Why? That all families might be blessed Amen. in him, the offspring of Abraham. Amen. Man, I love that. The, the uh, go and be fruitful and multiply in the Old Testament versus go into all the world and make disciples. The multiplication is happening, but not simply through procreation, yeah. but now through this proclamation of the gospel. That's brilliant, man. I, I, I think about our, uh, my family's story, and I think about how, in a way, both of those things came together. Yeah. Um, my dad comes from a Hindu family, and you've heard me describe his story uh, in different moments here at New Life Downtown. And my mom was raised Anglican, and so there's that generation of faith, generations of faith that had been there for her side of the family. But when they, when they met at the University of Singapore, uh, faith for my mom was more, was more sort of nominal. It was kind of, yeah, you go to church, you do the thing, but uh, you know, it, it didn't necessarily have a, a ton of bearing. But she did know when she started dating my dad that she wasn't going to marry a Hindu. <laughs> she, that, that much uh, she knew. And so... Uh, and so he said, well, okay, uh, let's see about this conversion thing. Let's see about Christianity. Now, we don't typically endorse dating as a mission <laughs> strategy, but it can be used. It, yeah. can, it can work. And, uh, and into, their, into their marriage, they were both sort of, you know, faith was very, it was there, but it was, it was not, it hadn't really taken over their life in a, in a, in a powerful way. But my mom's older sister, my auntie Yvonne, had, had come to this real vibrant uh, faith. And so she would always try to share with them. And I believe Auntie Yvonne at the time was not married. Is that right? Like she was single. And so your, even your idea here, so she, didn't have, she was the older sibling. She wasn't married. She didn't have kids of her own. But she was determined through proclamation yeah. to multiply the family of God. And so she would start you know, sharing about being born again with my parents. And they would make fun of her. And they would call her a holy roller and dismiss what she was saying and all that stuff. But she kept going. 
And over time, she wore them down. And both, of, both my mom and my dad had a, had a moment, an experience that they would describe as their born-again experience. They're surrendering their heart, repentance and faith and full trust in the Lord. And then they, were, they, were, they started going to this Bible study from this uh, Baptist pastor during the week. And then both of them were introduced to the Holy Spirit. And on and on it began to, to flow. And so all of a sudden, a family trajectory is altered, not only because of procreation, but because of proclamation, because Jesus stepped in to reclaim and redirect a family trajectory. Now, you may not know this, but in in Hindu tradition, you don't really have the last name thing. That's a Christian or or Western sort of convention where your first name, last name. So my dad was, was given a name after a Hindu god, Indra. And he didn't have a surname or a last name. It was Indra, son of, and then his dad's first name. And that's sort of how things were done in, in Tamil families. And, but when he became a Christian, he decided two things. One, he was going to change his name because maybe being a Christian with a Hindu first name was not the greatest idea. And so he decided to change his name to David. And not only did he change his name to David, but Apachium, which in a way was sort of like middle name-ish kind of thing, became his last name. And so he is, in our family story, the first generation, if you will, of Pacquiam. I am the second generation Pacquiam, and our son Jonas, whose middle name David is named after my dad, is the third generation of Pacquiams. My point to you is that God can redirect a family's trajectory. God can redirect a family's trajectory. But like Jason said, we don't always live to see it. Yeah. And this is how I want to close this morning, and if the worship team would, would get ready and prepare to come, this is how I want to close this morning, is by looking at four women that show up, not in Luke's genealogy of Jesus, but in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Matthew names four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, and this is a beautiful piece of art that Lori Duncan found for us about these four these four women, and you can see Rahab has that scarlet thread, that red thread that she holds out. And there's several things that's remarkable about these women. Sometimes what's highlighted is the wrong thing. Sometimes what's highlighted is, oh, these are sketchy women. That, that's not the point. These are women who actually found themselves as victims uh, in, in many situations. When you think about the Tamar story, if you know that story, I won't repeat it because there's children in the room, but it is in the Bible. And if you know the Tamar story, you say, wow, Tamar, that was a tough deal that she was dealt. And yet she was trying to creatively um, say, lay claim to the family promise. Rahab is not a descendant of Abraham. Rahab is in Jericho. How does she get in on the promise? How does she get in on the genealogy of the Messiah? And then you have Ruth who's sort of this, has Moabite blood in her, which the, the story of the Moabites in the Old Testament is like, these are seductress, like wicked people who lead our hearts astray. No Moabite, let alone a Moabite woman, is supposed to be in the story of Jesus. And yet here is Ruth with her own promise of faith saying, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And you see Ruth demonstrating extraordinary faith against all odds. Then you see Bathsheba, who once again is a victim of power, a king who can't keep his desires under control, demands her. And in the Old Testament, she's named as the wife of Uriah, and yet you think surely then she's been ruined. Bathsheba can't now participate in the story, whether her fault or not. Surely she's been ruined, and Matthew wants us to know 
there is no life, there is no story, not because of your ethnicity, not because of your gender, and not because of your past. Yeah. There is nothing that can disqualify you from joining in the Jesus story. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. And maybe the most stunning thing about it is all these women went to their graves wondering maybe if their lives mattered. Tamar, did it work? Rahab, well, I made it, but now what? Ruth, did she know that David would come from her line? Maybe we should write a new Christmas song, Ruth, Did You Know? (laughs) Bathsheba, could she have understood what was coming? None of these women got to see the climactic moment of the story, but God knows the revolution is generational. The revolution is generational. It reaches back before us and it reaches far, extends far after us. The arrival of Jesus reminds us that God is faithful to redeem our past and to redirect our future. To redeem our past and to redirect our future. Wherever you stand, wherever you find yourself on this Advent morning, maybe you're in a moment and you say, well, I really am not sure if God can heal the wounds of my family past. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm really not sure what's going to happen to the generations after me. There's some real question marks. Maybe that's because of the place you find yourself in, separated in your marriage, estranged from your children. As we light the candle here in a moment, I want you to become aware of the light of Jesus coming into your own story, into your own life. The light of Jesus coming to redeem the past and redirect the future. The light that shines in the darkness, even the darkness of our ancestors and descendants. Let's stand this morning as we sing together and light our candles.